in something for a couple moments here. Um, and then we're just going to be the church. And I think this is going to turn into a big uh, prayer meeting today. Someone, one person in the back. Jesus said, my, my church, my, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And so that's what we're going to be this morning. And so um, this altars project that we're engaging in, we've been considering it prophetically like a monument of faith. Meaning it's not about the building, but it's about the stories of God's faithfulness in the building. It's about the people of God that are convinced about who he is, that are willing to give of who we are to see his kingdom established in this city. I want you guys with me this morning. It's not just about creating more space. This is about the generations to come knowing that God has been faithful from one generation to the next. Has he not been? He has been. It's the stories in the building. It's a monument of our faith. And in Joshua chapter 4, there's this particular moment where God tells Israel through Joshua that when you cross the Jordan River from the wilderness into the promise, the promise that he gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob years before, they're finally getting to this promise after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. When you cross the river, the threshold into the promise, you're to take out 12 stones from the river and set up a monument, an altar, if you will, on the other side of the Jordan. And this is what it says, Joshua chapter 4. In the future, when your descendants, your children, ask their parents, what do these stones mean? What does this monument of faith mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this, listen, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He did this. So that the generations to come might know that he is who he says he is. That the same God who released this entire nation from slavery, the one who gave Abraham the promise, the one that set the stars in the sky, that spoke a word, and everything was created. That God dried up the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And now I want you to take 12 stones, set up a monument of faith, so that whoever would ask, what in the world is this? It would prompt you to tell the story of his faithfulness. This is God's idea, not ours. It wasn't a cheap 21st century marketing trick to pull people into something they didn't want to be into. Let's be honest. We get skeptical of stuff like this. But this is the creator of the cosmos. The one who knit you together in your mother's womb. The one who formed and fashioned humanity saying, this is what you need for success in your future. A monument of remembrance. And by the way, your kids weren't there in Egypt, but you were. Your kids aren't going to have to walk through what you did, but you did. And so that they can build upon the foundation that I'm bringing you in your life, I don't want them to have to rediscover what you discovered. Scripture says he's faithful from generation to generation. But he doesn't start new with each generation. He goes from strength to strength, glory to glory, grace to grace. But it's our responsibility, hear me, it's our responsibility to remember his faithfulness and not hide it in our hearts, but proclaim it in the great assembly. I'll wait for you guys to catch up. So we have a mandate in this church. And hear me, I'm unashamed to call it a mandate. Culturally, this is what we're gathering around. We have a mandate in this church to remember his faithfulness. Because our journey of faith may not be easy. Anybody have an easy go at life? Someone said, yeah, I heard it. <laughs> Sounds boring, to be honest. If you had an easy go at life, okay, but... Our journey of faith is not easy, but hear me loud and clear, it is simple. 
And what life tries to do, what the enemy tries to do, what circumstance tries to do is overcomplicate what God made simple. This is why we can't fathom the simplicity of God saying, all you need when you face giants in your future is to remember what I did in the past. Well, it can't be that simple. Yes, it can. We go to counselors and therapists and thank God for them. We have brilliant ones within our church. We go to therapists and spend hours and money and years trying to figure out the complexity of our minds. This is called psychology, the study of human mindset and behavior, when in fact, God, who created your mind and all of your psychology, is giving you a tool. Remember, Tony, like you did today, that God healed your lungs in an instant when you were inches from death. Remember when your marriage was on the brink and you looked at your spouse with vitriol and you're now walking in love and freedom and respect in your home. Remember when you were addicted to drugs or mindset or behavior and you're miles from that now. Remember how horrible it was before, and though you still might struggle, it isn't what it was before. Remember that you were on your way to hell, and Jesus showed up and says, my blood is sufficient to set you free. If that is in the forefront of our minds, God is saying, you're going to have everything that you need to know that the God I was for you then is the same God walking for you now. I'm telling you, the two greatest weapons of spiritual warfare I can find in Scripture are A, the truth, and B, story. What is your story of God? Has he been faithful to you? I can't wait for this place to erupt, but I'll convince you a little bit more. Our journey of faith may not be easy, but it is simple. Can you say that? <laughs> You're like, say what, right? You said a lot of words. Can you just say, it is simple? It is simple. Stop overcomplicating it. No, 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 no. <laughs> you guys are so good. I'm taking my time, and I, I hope you can tell by the conviction in my heart that there's something the Lord wants to get across today. Because... We need to be the church today. All faith is, is catching up to who he is. Sorry to burst the bubble of how complicated you've made life. That's all faith is. That's why Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom is the one who becomes like a child. And the childlike faith, size of a mustard seed, that's all you need to look at a mountain and say, be moved, and it will be moved. But he said, any other faith that is not childlike, it will be impossible. If there's any way to describe a child, it's one word, simple. They haven't yet overcomplicated life. They haven't given credence to the complexities and dynamics of the world swirling around them. Their faith is simple, and that is the faith that Jesus is inviting us into. And he says, there's no other way. The greatest in the kingdom are like these children. So I'm here today to tell you, stop overcomplicating the issue. He is who he says he is, and the moment your heart catches up to the reality of who he is, is when you start to live in the life that he's provided for you. The freedom and the wholeness and the beauty. Aren't you sick of following how deceptive and how complicated life and its poles are? Aren't you sick of it? I know who I'm talking to. I've overcomplicated things, and Jesus' invitation is to come like a child, and it offends everything in us because our stories are more important than that. We're taught to honor our feelings. Now, Jesus is compassionate. I'm going to, sorry, guys. Uh, Jesus is compassionate, and he empathizes, and he meets us in the slimy pit. But guess what else he does? He pulls us up out of it, and he sets us on a rock. 
And many of us are refusing the invitation to be pulled up out of our space because we've gotten so married to the complexity and how complicated our minds are. And he says, approach me like a child. Just believe that I can take you out of it. Okay, God. That's why he repeats over and over and over and over again. Guys, I sent Moses into the promised land. You were enslaved. There was no way you thought you could get out. But guess what? You got out. You found your way to a Red Sea, and the army was chasing you down. You thought your life was over, and you should just surrender and go back. Guess what? Moses raised his staff. The sea parted, and he walked through, never to see your enemies again. That was me. I'm about to, whew. Guys, he's been faithful. And he will always be faithful. His name is faithful. He can't not be who he is. It's us. We got the issue. We forget that he's faithful. And all we have to do is tether our hearts to his faithfulness. That's what faith is. God, you're here. This is who you are. This is what you do. And my life has caused me to wander over here. What my faith is going to do is attach again to who you are. And it's going to draw me near to who you are. Simple. Come like a child. We waver because our circumstances waver. And we wonder whether or not who he is is applicable to this new situation and complexity in our life. I have some news for you. He is. He's relevant for what you're walking through. Don't let the deceptive nature of new and shock and surprise fool you into thinking that he's not relevant for what you're walking through. He is faithful. I can tell what the Holy Spirit wants to say because my words are sharp this morning. And we're going to get there. Anybody convinced already? Why are you not jumping up and down? Our boast is in him, isn't it? Yes. Then stop bragging about your circumstances. Stop elevating them. He tells Joshua, who's in fear and overcome by the giants of the land, he says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And then what does he say? Keep my word, my law on your lips day and night. It's the only time in life where you have permission to talk more than you listen. (laughs) Keep my word on your lips. Stop listening to the chatter in your mind and start telling of his faithfulness. Start telling of what he's done, about what he's accomplished and who he's been, and let your heart and the complexity of life catch up to who he is. That's what it means to be the people of faith. Stop giving yourself room to waffle and waver because everybody else is doing it. No, we are distinct people. We are separate. Why? Not because of our behavior and the religiosity that we walk in. No, because we've tethered our lives to who he is. Our greatest weapons of spiritual warfare, hear me, spiritual warfare, which is what we're going to do this morning, are truth and story. Do you know the truth? And has that truth changed your life? Then you're standing on good ground. Walk like it. Talk like it. Behave like it. Walk out these, no, start in here. Brighten your eyes. Put a pep in your step. Lift your hands. Sing differently. This is what David says. I will not hold your righteousness in my heart, but I will stand in the assembly and speak of your faithfulness. Man, a week in Mexico did me some good. He's our, yeah, send me back next week. He's our stability, isn't he? He's our focus. He's our power. That's who we are. We are in him. That's the only distinction we have in this earth. Not our political stance, not who we vote for, not the behaviors that you walk in. No, the only distinctive element of your life is being in him. 
That's what we have to offer. But if being in him doesn't look any different than being in the world, then what good is it? Got to become good storytellers. Stop listening to the chatter. And start speaking to it. Talk more than you listen. Only when it's stories of God's faithfulness, all right? <laughs> Didn't I break you out of slavery? Didn't I part the Red Sea? Didn't I feed you in the wilderness? And keep your shoes from wearing out and your clothes from fading? If I did it then, won't I do it now? But here's the thing that God is telling Joshua to tell Israel. This isn't actually for your benefit. You're going to place these stones and walk away. But your kids are going to come. Your neighbors are going to come. The generations beyond are going to come. It seems like we're on a rescue mission in our generation, doesn't it? What does it mean to be a Christian in the land? Now, hear me, there's two angles to this. We are only here because of the faithfulness of the generations before. We are. Undoubtedly. When Sarah was talking up here today in Spanish, I wanted to turn to you and say, this is your legacy. Although imperfect and messy at times, there's ground that you laid in your life so your daughter could stand up here today and speak in Espanol and make my heart go pitter-patter. There are, we are standing on ground, but there are some rocks somewhere. There's a monument somewhere. There's things that we have to discover that don't look like what the culture taught us, that don't look like circumstances, dictation of who we are. There are monuments of faith out there. There are stories that need to be told and grabbed hold of. There are generations that have gone before that need to profess what God has done so the generations to come can grab hold of something. We now are the ones responsible with the stories of God because we now are the ones that have generations coming after. We can't flirt with whether or not He is who He says He is. He is, and He will be, and now it's time to move. A mark of maturity, I've said this before, But I'm going to say it again. A mark of maturity in Christianity is how well you utilize your memory. So we have this monument in Joshua chapter 4. And team, you guys can actually come back. This monument in Joshua chapter 4, they cross the Jordan into the promise. Come on, ready, set, go. They cross the Jordan River into the promise, and they set this monument, this altar, if you will, of remembrance of what God has done. And I don't know if you know it, but every day you wake up, you are engaging in spiritual warfare. The moment your brain becomes conscious, and even in your sleep. But the moment you're considering what is true and what is false is the immediate moment you're engaging in spiritual warfare. But many of us aren't even aware that the reality of what it means to be in Christ is implicitly and explicitly spiritual warfare. But most of our language about spiritual warfare is this. I'm under attack. Something is happening to me. Something's coming my way. I feel like the enemy's out to get me. And then when it lets up, we go back to neutral. And we don't remember that it's still spiritual warfare until I get sick. Or this person says something to me. Ah, this is spiritual warfare. I'm under attack. The only posture culturally we have in spiritual warfare is the defensive posture. Am I wrong about this? I mean, there's some intercessors in this place. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're on the offensive, and we're going to catch up to you today. It's like we only declare spiritual warfare when we're under attack. And the only way we engage a spiritual war is defensively. Like at the Red Sea, right? 
God sets them free. We're running. And then all of a sudden, we have this immovable object. We're under attack. The enemy's coming. What are we going to do? And they freak out. And Moses says, be still and know that he is God. You need only be still. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew that they couldn't get riled up because he's not going to stop now. He just let us go. He's going to do something. I don't know what it is. But nonetheless, that's what our lives look like sometimes. The enemy is chasing us down, and I'm in front of the Red Sea. What am I going to do? What are we going to do? And we spend so much time and attention considering, do I go back? How do I handle myself? Anxiety, fear, and we miss out on being still and knowing that he is God. And then they cross the Red Sea. And they're focused on lack and insecurity. So they go into a defensive posture on one side of the Red Sea. Then they break across the Red Sea and their posture is lack and insecurity. This is the spiritual warfare. Can I, can I, I mean, Pastor Craig speech, preached on this last week. We're so focused on our inner world and is he going to be who he says he's going to be? And we spend all of our time and utilize all the weapons that God gives us to just make it through the day. And then they get to the Jordan and there's a shift that happens. Anybody ready for a shift in life? Can I see your hands? Are you ready for, like if you're ready for a shift? Today's the shift. There's a shift that happens at the Jordan River. I've preached this before. They have identity given to them at the Jordan River, but that's not what I'm talking about today. For so long, the journey of the Israelites was about their inner world. God, are you who you say you are? The entire journey in the wilderness was about finding out who he was and then finding out who they were in him. But now, after they crossed the Jordan River, it was about their enemy finding out who they were. I'm prophetically marking a shift in our church today. For the entire journey, it was God convincing a people that he is who he says he is. And then the moment they crossed the Jordan River, the monument was set up, and now it wasn't about whether or not they were going to be convinced about who he was. It says the people of their land were afraid because the God who parted the Red Sea was walking with this people. It was now time for the enemies of God to find out who the people of God were. Our posture spiritually can no longer be exclusively, God, how can I make it through the day? Because he's given you enough of his faithfulness for you to be convinced in your lack, in your insecurity, that even though I feel this way, he doesn't change. And when we stand on solid ground, guess what he has for us? A new song for sure, but ground to take. The moment they crossed the Jordan River, it was no longer about finding out who they were. It was about the occupiers of the land finding out who they were. Hear me. You ready? This altars project. Ooh, I want to preach. You guys think I've been preaching. I don't know, I got like more American. <laughs> Latin American, I guess, yeah. The Altars Project, I want to tell you something, that the space that we have below us, 9,000, 10,000 square feet, green light, we're good to go. We're really excited about this. But I don't want to talk about that space. I want to talk about this space. This space used to be a nightclub. Did you know that? Still is kind of a nightclub. Hans called it a light club yesterday. It used to be a nightclub. And, and when we occupied this space in 2015, under a, under a different name, part of a different church, that it's a different story. You'll hear about that DNA when you come take DNA. Nonetheless, we started, we started coming into this space on Sundays while the nightclub was still functioning. And within two months, the nightclub shut down. 
the last, and I think this is true, okay, I think this is true, the last time the nightclub ever functioned was October 31st, Halloween night, and it shut down. After that, we had exclusive access to this place. One year later, that church shut down, and we gathered with about 20 people trying to find out how to move forward, but there were lease signs on the door. We didn't know where we were going to go or what we were going to do. All we knew is that they were going to give this place up to someone else, and we didn't have a space to go. And I wrote the owner of the building, and I said, hey, listen, we still got about 20 people who don't want to give up. We just need a space to gather. And we, we set our hearts to vision, a little bit, not much vision. We just didn't want to give up. And um, we didn't know where we were going to go. It was a Tuesday evening, October of 2016. Next day, Wednesday, I get paragraph and paragraph and paragraph back from the owner of this building, very, very influential guy in our city and around the world, by the way, saying, you can stay. It's yours and you can stay for free. Only this time, he says this, this church must slay. And we're gonna do it right. I'm here to report it slays, okay? A miracle. And here we are seven years later in this space. We pay for it now, by the way. We have a lease for it. So to grow up a little bit. But it was a miracle. But guess what? It was a miracle of survival. That's all it was. God, you sent us on this journey. I don't know what to make of you. Are you going to do what you said in all my anxiety and all my brokenness and all my fear? And then he says, you can have this space. I'm like, God, that's amazing. Thank you. And then the next day, I'm like, God, are you still going to do this? There's a miracle of survival. And many of us have miracles of survival in our lives. The mere fact that you made it through the day is a miracle. But it's only survival. Nothing to write down. I just made it. And many of us consider miracles that way. They're nothing to write down because we're just trying to get up for air. But I'm telling you, when you start recording the things that God has done, they will amount to a monument of faith. And when you look at that thing, you cannot unsee or ignore what he's done because it wasn't just that miracle. It was miracle after miracle after miracle in this place. And seven years later, this is what we have. All because a man who sits in a high place in our city heard from God, whether he knows it or not, to give this bunch of ragamuffins who did not know up from down a space to be in this city. I'm talking 6,000 square feet of space in this city for free so that God could do what he wants in a group of people and touch the city. And then God tells us it's time to expand. And so we go again and say, hey, listen, there's a space beneath 10,000 square feet, double what we have. Can we have it? Yes. Market rate's probably $50,000 a month. You know how much we're paying for it? I won't tell you, but <laughs> do the math. About 20% of that. Another miracle. Another miracle. Originally, originally, we were going to keep both spaces, and this is what we pitched to you guys as the altar project. It was on contract. I signed it, but it never came back to me signed. So we have the space downstairs, and we're beginning to hear rumors that wanted, they wanted to keep this space again upstairs, take it back. And I get it. We're not trying to hoard square footage downtown. Like, I get it. Economically, it makes sense that they would lease it out again. But I've just gotten word that they want to put a nightclub back in this place. No, but hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. They want to put a nightclub back in this place. All of the spiritual warfare all of the advancement of the kingdom of God, all the cleansing and purification that has happened in the seven years since it used to be a nightclub, they want to go right back. And it's nothing to do with them. It's about the powers of the air, the operating. It's nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the influence that the enemy wants to have in our city. And listen, I will not, hear me, stand helpless. I will not stand neutral. And I will not stand in a defensive posture when it comes to young men 
who are going to have the hooks of lust placed in them in a dark nightclub thinking that they just want to have a good time. And the enemy's intention behind it is to grab their hearts and hold them captive for the rest of their lives. I will not be okay with an establishment being set up where young men and young women are coming to cheat on their spouses. I'm not okay with being neutral about women in this space being objectified and understanding that that is their identity. I'm not okay with the hooks of addiction coming in in this space, in this room, after years and years of the establishment of the kingdom of God coming. I'm not about to just walk away. The season, listen, 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 Linda, listen. The season of us trying to figure out who we are in him is over. We have crossed the Jordan into the promise and it's now time that the people of God understand that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. That is not a defensive posture, that is an offensive posture, which means every nook and cranny of this city that has been hidden in darkness and overcome by the grip of the enemy, the church is now gonna occupy. We are moving forward spiritually. This past week, the day that we said we were gonna start demo downstairs is the day they said we need, to, we need you to give up the lease to this place. And I said, I get it, I understand. And by the way, I have to sign that paper. But I delayed it until Monday, tomorrow. And we've been praying Friday and Saturday. Not that we'd hoard square footage downstairs. They can take it back, but I do not want a nightclub here. Because, listen, God did not raise this house to be in a defensive posture in this city. And I'm marking the ground today to say that we will advance Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Are you convinced yet that I am he? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? People of God in this room, who do you say that he is? Is he who he says he is? Good. You guys should have shouted there. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The confession of Jesus being the Messiah, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you, listen, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was Messiah. Hear me for a second. Caesarea Philippi was this region beneath the mount, mountain called Hermon. Mount Hermon. Not, not you, Hermon. You've lifted his head. I got your attention. H-E-R-M-O-N. And this was the space. It was a shrine. There was a shrine there set up to this pagan god named Pan. But there was this grotto, this like water feature that was underneath the base of this mountain. And they considered this the gate of Hades. It was the space that represented where all of hell would kind of manifest on earth, where hell would come occupy space. It was the portal from the underworld. And Jesus takes his boys and he walks them to this place, Caesarea Philippi, where this grotto, this gate, this shrine to the pagan god Pan, he says, Peter, you've established that I am the Lord. You're the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. Hear me. My ecclesia. Ecclesia is this, the gathering of God's people. But more specifically, the ones charged, deputized to execute the will of heaven on earth. He takes them to the portal of hell and says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not hold it back. 
It is not a defensive posture, it's an offensive posture. Gates don't move, except, except when the church advances against them, then they will move. He says, I give you the keys. Whatever you bind in heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Did you know, do you know that God has given authority to the church not to be sustained, but to advance on the powers of darkness in this world, to establish his kingdom. And it's time as a church, as a people, in your marriage, in your home, in your dreams, in your posture, in your finances, to not be on your heels anymore as the people of God. All this is doing is serving us notice as a people of God. And I might be talking to 10 people in this room, and they're all sitting on the front row. It's time that we stop playing on our heels and we start getting on the balls of our feet. And we move forward in authority, not insecure about who he is or what he can do, secure in knowing that now that we know who he is, our enemy is gonna know who he is. And our enemy is not a nightclub. Our enemy is the powers of hell at work to establish, again, a hold on this place. So has he been faithful in your life? Is he who he says he is? Stand on solid ground and declare to this city, to every power of the air, that he is who he says he is, and they have no hold anymore. This space will not be occupied by the enemy's intention to grab hold and enslave young people in our city anymore. It will be a space that it currently is to set people free. Demons being cast out, people being healed, people being saved. That's the kingdom of God in this city. There's a shift in our church. I love you guys. Do you trust me? Let's go. Stop, stop. I'm going to preach a little bit more. Stop tolerating. Stop tolerating. Stand up. Come here. Where's your thing? Is it? Okay. Stop tolerating this. Stop it. Don't smile at me. This is a serious moment. Stop tolerating this. Like that's your only spiritual warfare to not get knocked off your feet. Stop it. Push me. I mean it. Push me. Come on. No, do it. No, no, no. This means more for you than you know. Push me. That's what you're called to. You're waiting. No more heels. No more insecurity. Say this, as for me and my house. No, 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 you stand up. As for me and my house, say it louder. Say it to the powers of the air. Come on. And my wife. Yep, my family. Yep, you know he is who he says he is. This project means more to you to you than you know, and you're saying. Come on. 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 You guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He tried to do this to you this week. Stand up, both of you. Hurry up, come on. Come here, come here. Didn't he? Sorry, I can't do this to a woman. Come here. Yeah, but what did you do this week? Oh, that was weak, come on. Stop it! 
Stand. These guys got to get in line. What did you do this week? You laughed. You laughed. You giggled. Didn't you? Maybe not literally. You did. You're like, this is too easy. It's too obvious. Right? Push me back. Push me back. Right? Right? It's time. Whose heart's being stirred right now? I want to see your hands. You're done being pushed back. Sam, where are you? You stood right here, 2021. You remember this moment? The prophet looked you in the face and he said, turn and look at Ryan. I was standing right there and your eyes scared me. You are honoring the things of God. And this is not about me, what I'm about to say, but you looked at me and it freaked me out. And I'm gonna say this, it freaked the hell out of me. Literally, everybody got religious for a moment. And you looked at me, do you remember what you said? The prophet looked at you and said, tell Ryan, you have the keys to the city. Guys, we have the keys to the city. Whatever you bind on earth will be already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will already be loosed in heaven. We have to know the authority that God has placed in his ecclesia. Stop being pushed back and start pushing back the enemy. Today marks a shift. Matt, am I wrong? God's timing in your life is perfect. Tell the stories. Find the stories and tell the stories. Your story needs to be recorded. You need to interview yourself. That's the mountain of our age. How do you make it through being canceled and everything being taken away? Come on, man. That's his story. Slimy pit, now you're on a rock. And now you're not going to let your mouth be shut. Come on. I'm unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Man, when I was 12 years old, I don't like, I don't, ah, I don't like what I'm about to do. Because I know what it's like to do it. 12 years old, I grew up in a very religious home. I grew up in a, in a home that, I actually praise God for the home I grew up in because I encountered him, but there was a bunch of other stuff. And I was about 12, 13 years old, and forgive me if this is offensive, mom, but I found out that my mom started smoking. And the home that I grew up in, it was like red alert, red alert, red alert, red alert. Only, only those people do this. And my mom started doing this, and I was a sensitive kid. I remember riding my bike in Oh man, the Lord is very, very good. Riding my bike in a, in, a, in a trail in a forest, and my sister, my older sister, who's fairly antagonistic to me, she looked at me in the, with, through the pain in her own heart. She says, you know mom smokes, doesn't she? Don't you? Don't you know that your mom smokes? And I kind of, I knew, but just that moment just, and I remember a dramatic moment, right? I get off my bike and I pick it up and I throw it. And I was in such pain, such heartache. My heart was so sensitive and pure and like saw the beauty of the world in that time. And, and something was coming to inflict my home. And I remember gathering my family after this. And I'm like, mom's going to die. My 12-year-old heart, like the simplicity of it shocked me. And it rattled me to the core. But I knew my discernment was going off. I didn't know what to make of it. It wasn't about smoking. It was about the grip of the enemy trying to grab my home. And I was aware of it. And 
understanding it at that age, but all I knew was how to say it this way, she's gonna die. And that summer, my grandma, she took me to Manitoba. There was this little town called Killarney. And I remember walking around that town, 12 year old, nothing to do in a small town except buy fireworks and get up to mischief. So I walked around this town over and over and over again. You know what I said? Devil, Satan, come fight me. Come show up, manifest right here, I'll knock you out. That was what I believe. Come on, man. Hey. Sit down. I have a mandate today. I walked around that town with every ounce of faith in my heart. I expected him to show up and fight me. And I was not afraid at all because of who lived in me. And I recognized that that was immature spiritual warfare. But there was something in me that God was establishing to say, enough is enough. And you will not have my home. You will not have my family. And I will stand if it costs my life to prove to you that you're a sissy. That was my 12-year-old self. He had his way with me for the next 15 years. Like Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and my life was sifted for sure. I go on an eight-day holiday to Mexico, hear me. This past Monday, I come home, and my mom is in the ICU, fighting for her life. And yeah, it sucks to see that, it sucks to be part of that, but I also recognize something. I recognize that the enemy is playing his hand in my life. And once again, what was in that 12-year-old boy is coming up. That I will not, hear me, I will not allow the enemy one more iota, one more ounce of control, one more ounce of intimidation, one more ounce of encroachment on the things of the kingdom of God in my life or in this city. Because he is who he says he is. The nightclub thing happens on Wednesday. What are you going to do about it, Ryan? And I'm here to tell you today, my family, my church, my community, that we will not anything less than the fullness of the promise of God in this city. So we're going to fight. We're going to take ground. We're going to take territory. And listen, I know if you grew up in the 90s in church, you know this language. But we got to re remind ourselves about what this really means to stand in spiritual authority in this city. Yes. Now you can stand, Jeremy. You can stand too. <laughs> Last November, we had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. November prior. We've probably had 13, 14 babies born in our church since then because we recognized that this was the play of the enemy and we started to pray and pray and pray. And then people got pregnant and got pregnant and got pregnant and there's babies everywhere now and there's more babies coming and more pregnancies happening. God is calling us to pray. God is calling us to advance the kingdom of God, not through weapons of war, but through prayer. So if you're with me, I want you to stand. Across the Jordan River, we're establishing a monument of faith. This is your story of God's faithfulness in your life, and that is your weapon in times of war. So all you have to do right now, all you have to do right now is declare with everything in you His faithfulness. That's all you have to do. So do it. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going back. Love you and respect you, but let him have it. Let him have your lips. He's been faithful. Let him have it. You see it.
That's because of you, sir. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. He's not bound by time. Let the rest of your life be the best of your life. Don't be robbed. I love you. And I'm thankful for your love for me. Don't be, don't let me be more blessed by your story than you are by your story. Receive the joy. Lift your hands and say, thank you, God. That's your voice. Speak more than you listen. They need to see you happy. They need to see you in joy. Your wife needs to see the fruit of her lips, the prayers of her life manifest in your heart. Your grandkids need to know grandpa. Don't be robbed and don't let anybody else be robbed. You're plundering hell. You're done with hell plundering your heart. Anybody else sick and tired? His faithfulness in your life is for the record. Can we just lift our hands? Come on. I need some drums today. I need some drums today. God, you've been faithful. You've always been faithful. You're going to continue to be faithful. And today, I'm established in your faithfulness. Nothing and no one can convince me that you aren't faithful to the end. And I'm going to let the city know. I'm going to let the powers of the air know.